Welcome to the podcast of Grace and Peace Church. We're glad you're journeying with us, and we hope that you find value from the teachings. If you'd like to connect or support the mission of Grace and Peace Church, check us out at graceandpeacechurch.org or find us on Instagram or Facebook. Grace and Peace. I was playing Family Feud, like a trivia game, a couple weeks ago, and a category came up asking for the top five answers to this question. Name a rock song that could also be a church hymn. Our team missed all five answers, but listen, the number one answer was we are the champions. It's gross. No, just no. So like I'm sitting there and I'm trying to think through the theology of like crossover lyrics between stuff like Sister Act and Jesus Christ Superstar. Other people are just guessing, shouting out like, highway to hell, living on a prayer. And they were totally right. And we just, we blew that. But it made me wonder, has anyone here seen Jesus Christ Superstar? Like the play, the movie? Okay. Okay. A couple of you. This is going to have something to do with Advent. So there's a scene at the beginning of the play. And there's a highly fictionalized Mary Magdalene. She's puzzling through her response to Jesus. Her character encountered Jesus. She's clearly affected by him, but in ways she can't account for. She's impacted by him. She's moved by him. And she can't contain her reactions. Her feelings are visceral. And she says that that scares her. So she's working through her reactions. And she sings this. I'm not going to sing this. I don't know how to love him, what to do, how to move him. I've been changed, just really changed. In these past few days, when I've seen myself, I seem like someone else. Now, again, this is theater. But I think that this version of Mary lets us consider a problem that can be common. There's a limit to her understanding and imagination of Christ because she regards him solely in terms of his humanity. Her only frame of reference for that is the men of her day, and they're disappointing. So this version of Mary does not know Christ in his full nature, his divine self. Her early sense of Jesus does detect some compelling differences about him, but her awareness is incomplete. So she contemplates what a love relationship might look like with Jesus, and her conclusion is understandable. If he said he loved me, I'd be lost. I'd be frightened. I couldn't cope, just couldn't cope. I'd turn my head. I'd back away. I wouldn't want to know. He scares me so. I want him so. I love him so. This Mary is confounded by Jesus. He evokes in her this reckless love, and she has no context for it, and that scares her. Her gut reaction to Christ was love toward him that could not be contained, and that, I believe, is the nugget of truth that could not be suppressed even in this wild reimagining. You see, the love of Christ is compelling. The Apostle Paul said that to the church in Corinth when he was explaining to them why believers should make an effort to persuade others of God's desire for reconciliation in all the world, towards God, 
and between humans. The love of Christ is compelling, and here's why. God is love. So let's go back to the theater again, different theater. Who said this? What's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. What'd you say? Shakespeare? Yeah, Shakespeare. So it's Shakespeare, it's at Juliet speaking about Romeo, implying that his surname doesn't matter. Even though his house was an enemy to hers, their love would be true, a rose by any other name. The imagined Mary Magdalene of Superstar was acquainted with a man named Jesus, son of Joseph, and she loved him inexplicably. But her character was loosely based on Mary of Scripture, who truly knew Christ, followed him as one of his earliest disciples. Real Mary referred to Jesus by other names, Rabboni, which means teacher, and Lord. To her, Christ also revealed himself as Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer. Now, God was first called by that name in Exodus, And Mary experienced Jehovah Rapha when Jesus healed her from demonic possession. We can also say that Mary Magdalene experienced Christ as El Roy, the Hebrew term for the God who sees me. How beautiful is that relationship? El Roy, God Almighty, Jesus, arose by all his names, God is known in Scripture through Revelation by many names. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provider. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our banner. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. Jehovah Ra, the Lord our shepherd. Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. Jehovah Shema, the Lord is here. And this same God, Jehovah Shema, the Lord is here, is also Emmanuel the child of Christmas, God with us. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And God with us, the person of Jesus Christ, is also the living word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. Every name is an effort to identify God. Each one recalls a divine activity or characteristic unique to him alone. And collectively, the names highlight the creative and redemptive love of God, which is very often summarized this way. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. I was in my classroom a couple weeks ago. I teach science in Escondido, and a co-worker interrupted her morning Bible class to ask me a question. She was explaining John 3.16 to her sixth graders. She turned to me across the room and just asked, how hard would it be to give up your children? I just said, impossible. And she went on with her class, but her question like rattled me, kind of stuck in my head all day. 
The church talks a lot about the life-giving sacrifice of Jesus. Like John 3.16 is kind of a bedrock of the Christian faith, but that verse also begs a lot of questions, like the one that my coworker implied. How could God sacrifice his son? The common answer is because he loves us. If you grew up in the church, you probably heard that. But if the story of Christ is new, you might struggle through what that means. Honestly, in either case, I think that the answer is often incomplete. It doesn't do justice to the larger truth. So let's go back to the names of God. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provider. Now this name comes from the story of Abraham. Abraham was called by God to leave his homeland and to travel to a place that God would later reveal to him. While they journeyed together, God would form a people through Abraham, a nation that would represent God to humanity in order to restore righteousness and relationship between people and God. The nation was Israel, and their mission was to be a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a chosen people for the sake of all people. But Abraham and his wife Sarah were old, and the idea of nation building through that line was nonsense. But that allowed space for the miraculous, and sure enough, Sarah gave birth to Isaac. Then God asked Abraham to give up his son, his only son. Does that sound familiar? So Abraham's story also raises a lot of questions that I don't think are answered very thoroughly very often. But the key is this. God did not require the sacrifice. And there are hints that Abraham never thought that he would. Like for one thing, Isaac and his dad are walking along, and Isaac asks, where's the lamb for the sacrifice? And Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb. And God did. Isaac was spared, and so Abraham named the place the Lord will provide. Abraham renamed the location because he knew that it would be a place of story forever. In his day, it was a story of salvation, and the story was retold through the generations. For us, it still points to salvation. It's a prophetic narrative. So to answer questions about Isaac's story, it's incorrect to say that God demanded a sacrifice and changed his mind, and it's insufficient and confusing to just say God loved him. We have to understand that in forming Abraham and the people through him, that cultures and systems had to change, had to end. Abraham came from a context where the worship of multiple and foreign gods often required horrific sacrifices. But throughout the Old Testament, Israel is meant to unlearn the violence and errors of humanity and to be reformed according to this new lesson, which God repeats and also depicts to them. Listen to this. I, God, desire mercy, not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. And also this, the Lord takes no pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. And this from Isaiah, 
What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. And then flash forward to this. When Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. God, I have come to do your will. So no, God did not require the sacrifice of Isaac. Instead, he was painting a picture of the future, of the way of peace on earth and goodwill to humans that would come through him. Which brings us back to the name Emmanuel, the Christ child, God with us. Remember, the error of the Mary Magdalene of fiction came from her limited view of Christ as just a man. But Jesus was God incarnate, made flesh, in humility, born in Bethlehem, to dwell among us and to give himself to us. Now, yes, we speak of the full revelation of God in Christ as God and Son. But what else could be said? How else could we humanly understand incarnation? God being born as though father to son is comprehensible. It's humanity being experienced humanly, but never forget that this is God in Christ entering the world for the sake of the world. So now with that in mind, let's revisit this. God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Just like with Abraham and Isaac, God himself provided God in Christ is the salvation of the world, and yes, because he loves us. With pure, merciful, graceful, selfless love, God laid his own life down. How do we respond to that? The Mary of imagination couldn't contain her response, couldn't manage it, but her reaction was solid. She just said, I love him so. The real Mary loved the true Jesus, and she also reacted to him. After his death, Mary Magdalene waited at the tomb and was the first person to meet the resurrected Christ in the garden. She'd been there crying. She met a man she thought was a gardener. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Mary recognized Jesus, called him teacher and Lord, and immediately began to share the good news of his life. Her love manifested itself in action, in the heralding of the gospel, in the pouring out of herself as a disciple, a Christ follower, in the purest sense, carrying on his work in his name. That's fitting. That's what anyone changed by Christ's love is expected to do. Listen to this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That was done for us. 
Is it too much to ask of us? Well, I think we're built for it. To give ourselves to others for the sake of the whole world. To operate out of a shared ethic that benefits everyone and omits no one. To be known by our love for one another and to be constantly revived for the task by the life-giving Holy Spirit of God. Now, maybe this, what's coming up, is a biological coincidence, but hear me out. You can tell me over coffee if you think it's maybe prophetic, maybe a fingerprint of the divine in creation. That's aggressive. This is an image of human blood cells in three solutions where the solute is salt. So think of the solutions as the environment that forms us, and think of any of these cells as any of us at our most fundamental level. So the center image is human blood cells in an isotonic solution, and that means that the salt content is the same inside and outside of the cell. Everything is so mixed up and diluted that the content of one cannot be discriminated from the content of the other. This cell makes no impact on its environment. It kind of looks like apathy. The first image is a cell in hypertonic solution. The solution outside the cell is salty, not in a good way. By its very nature, the water of that cell diffuses out into the environment in an effort to purify it, to mitigate its saltiness. Let's call it touching the chaos and grief and violence of that space. That cell will deplete itself in an effort to affect positive change. It will dehydrate and will only be revived, refreshed, replenished by the infusion of life-giving water. Now last is a hypotonic solution where the cell is saltier than its environment. And in that case, pure water will rush in, even filling the cell to the point of overflowing. The cell draws in what is pure. Its membrane is actually meant to be permeated. But the cell cannot contain the exceeding goodness, it will react by pouring itself out. Now, obviously, this isn't exact science, but it's roughly how we're built at a cellular level. This reactivity to what is pure, this innate response to our environment is in our blood. So now I want to consider our biology in terms of laying down our life for others. I want to look at what it means to be filled to the point of overflowing with the Spirit of God, and I want to see both of these as great acts of love. It's love that we're made to receive and to share, and those activities are so vital, so core to who we are meant to be, that God first built this life-giving, receiving mechanism into us, and then he himself came to earth to show us how to actualize it. A couple weeks ago, Nate referred to an encounter between Jesus and a Samaritan woman. Remember the woman at the well? Jesus said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, 
and he would have given you living water. That woman can stand in for us. She was once a product of her environment, but she was changed by Christ. Jesus encountered her, knew her, spoke truth and love to her, and in turn, she went out and shared truth about him. Like Mary Magdalene, she was an immediate and early herald of the gospel, a messenger of good news. Come, she said to the townspeople, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Yes, she met the Messiah, the name that points to the saving love of God for us. Do not be afraid, said an angel. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Jesus, Messiah, our peace, our shepherd, our righteousness, God who is here and who sees us, God who lived for us and God who gave himself for us, God who calls us to live for him and who built us to lay down our lives for others, God in Christ who says that there is no greater love than this. It's the fourth Sunday of Advent. And we should be ready to love like this now. You can do this. We can do this. You and I were built for this. So be ready. Matt, you can come on up. Be filled and go expend yourself. Draw from Christ and go and share his love. Take him in and pour him out through your life. And when you do, know that the Spirit of God, the living water, loved by all his names, journeys with you and will replenish you as often as you return to his deep, refreshing well. Amen. So, we don't end here. We end with coffee, and we end with a chat. So if you want to stay, sit for a minute, think through anything, you're welcome to stay in your seat, and Matt is going to play. If you would like to move to the back and take some time together to consider what love means for you, to meet someone new, to chat with a friend, if you want a prompt, maybe ask him, what song do you know that could also be a church hymn? It's not a bad place to start, but carry on and have a happy Christmas. Thank you.